Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt from a recent Blackboard webinar, Due Diligence Defined, What Being Compliant Really Means for Grantmakers. Click on the link in the show notes to view the full webinar, including the Q&A session. My name is Liz Bellotti. I'm a principal at PKF O'Connor Davies. For those of you who don't know us as a firm, we have over 16 offices now across seven states, over 1,500 uh, professionals, and about 135 partners. Um, so we're, we've grown quite a bit. I've been with the firm for over 12 years. My whole career at PKF O'Connor Davies has been working with private foundations. I have also worked um, in the commercial arena a bit and also with nonprofits, but probably 80% of my time has been with uh, private foundations. So I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the the, uh, larger private foundations and also some of the smaller ones as well. So the purpose today is I really just wanna kind of go through with you uh, due diligence. And what does that mean? Uh, What does that mean for you as a private foundation? What does that mean for your grantees? And I'm well aware that some of you um, may not have the capacity to do everything I'm going to discuss with you today. And I just want to just start off by saying that's okay. This is very uh, informational. And even you starting to do some of the things I discuss will leave you in a better and a stronger position than what you probably are in today. So just know that because I'm going to be going through a lot and my purpose is not to overwhelm any of you at all. Just trying to give you out some best practices. So due diligence, what does it even mean? So it's reasonable steps taken by a person in order to satisfy a legal requirement, especially in buying or selling something. What we mean by due diligence in the private foundation world is doing your due diligence on your grantees, or that's the main focus of today. There's other um, due diligence things that you'll need to do as a private foundation as well, which I won't be covering today. So there's a lot of reasons that due diligence is important. You can see them all listed here. I'm not going to read them all to you, but the thing I do want to highlight is reputational risk. I would say that's the number one driver um, for due diligence and why it's so important. When you are selecting and giving out your funds to different grantees across the country, what they do with that money and how they handle that money and if they handle the money appropriately is a reflection of you. So I have been in circumstances with clients where a certain grantee takes the money and something happens and they get splattered all over the newspaper, the media, social media. And what often happens in that case is, of course, the initial wrongdoing or fraud or misappropriation of funds, whatever it may be, the focus is initially, from what my experience, on the grantee and then very quickly turns to the foundation, whether you're large or small. So you really need to think about that and think about your reputation and you need to protect that. So I would say that's one of the most important things to think about as we go through this today. So grantee due diligence, I've kind of broken this into three phases. There's the pre-grant award phase, 
the post-grant award phase, and then the wind-down phase. A lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of the due diligence is done in the pre-grant award phase. And this is when you're selecting the grantees and looking at the grantees and um, reviewing the grantees. And and you really want to take your time in doing that. The post-grant award is making sure that the dollars were spent appropriately. If you had any restrictions on the monies, you want to look at those reports that the grantee reported back to you. And then in the wind-down phase, it's that means overall the whole grant. So a lot of the private foundations I work with, some of these grants are over five, even 10 years. So the wind-down is really kind of a look back, if you will. But hopefully, if you've done your due diligence in phase one and phase two, the wind down phase uh, won't be as a heavy lift in regards to due diligence. So what I've done here is I, I've kind of come up with a model. Um, now, every model is going to be different depending on your foundation and your size and your focus. But what you want to really touch on all of these different things within this model. You're going to focus on it um, differently per the grantee. When and if you do a risk assessment for your grantees, that's when you'll know where to focus on which grantee in which area. I like to say you want to get a broad overview of all these areas. But as you're working with different grantees, there may be one that might stick out to you. So I, I like to give examples. So, for example, um, I was working with a private foundation that had a grantee out in Oakland, California, and they called us up and, you know, I was working with the private foundation on, on all of their grantees for a particular grant program. And they said, you know, Liz, there's this one grantee and they're happening to be on California and every report we get from them is late. We got a call from their their auditors that they're struggling to get the information together. We really don't know what's going on. Could you and your team go out there for a week and just sit with the finance department and really kind of assess what's going on? So in this area, in this particular example, excuse me, of course, the focus was the financial. So I did. I went out with my team. We spent a week um, and they had a very large finance department for a nonprofit there were over 14 people in the finance department, and that, that was pretty sizable. So that it wasn't an issue of capacity in this, in this example. It was an issue of organization. They were so siloed, even within the finance department, never mind working with the program people and working with HR, that everybody had their assigned job, but there was no real communication. There was no um, you know, cross-checking. So a lot of it really came down to that. So we worked with them and, and we developed a checklist for the finance department of what they needed to do, when they needed to do it by, who they had to collaborate with, and when they had to, to get it to the CFO. And then after that, their reporting didn't instantly get better, but through time and working with us, it, it sincerely did, and they improved a great deal. So I just offer that example because in another grantee, you might discover the issue is the governance, the board of directors. So you might want to do a deeper dive there. So just look at this kind of as, you know, as a way to think about your grantees and different areas that you're going to want to look at, but there might not be or need a deep dive in all of them. It might just be one. So grant applications, that's where this all begins. So this is in the pre-grant award. You really can get a lot from having a very robust grant application, and that can also help you identify to the previous side where there's some risk issues or potential risk issues. 
So make sure that you have, now if you have different programs that have different requirements, you could have a few different types of grant applications depending on if there's different requirements for that program. If you can have one that's streamlined, that's easier for you administratively, uh, but the more information you can obtain uh, from the grantee at the pre-award, I would stress that. And just remember, that's when the grantee is trying to to trying to get your grant, right? So that's a great time because they really want to get you all the information you need. So hopefully you will fund them and you can be, you know, without being overbearing, of course, but you can say like, I really need all this information and this is our process. And if the grantee can't even handle that capacity of getting you that information, then that might be an indication to you that this might not be the best fit. It's always worth the discussion, you know, whether you call someone at the grantee, the you know, someone in the finance department and have that discussion with them. But in my experience, anyway, it's an indicator that they might not have the capacity to handle the dollars. So one of the areas we haven't really talked about yet is structure and governance. So when you're looking at your potential grantees, you really want to see how they're structured. Um, have they done a board assessment? Are they... Is the board engaged in fundraising? Is it an active board or is it a board who kind of sits back and is not really involved in the organization? One way that you can obtain a lot of this information is that you can request for them to send you one of their board packages that they send to the board, you know, how often they meet quarterly, monthly, and you'll get a really good sense by looking at that board package, you'll see how are the financials being presented? Who are they being presented to? Is there an audit committee, for example? Or is there an investment committee? Um, you can ask for an organizational chart of the board of directors. You can even ask, now boards will differ on this, but you can even ask for, are there defined roles and responsibilities, like for the audit chair, for example, like, is there a job description? Now, you don't have to ask all of this for every grantee. I'm not suggesting that. Again, like I said, this is just an overview of things to think about, and you're going to know what makes sense uh, for your grantees and your potential grantees. But you definitely want to get some pieces of information about structure and governance and how deep you go really is up to you. Um, these are just best practices that you want to think about as you're thinking about due diligence. The other thing to think about, uh, make sure that there's conflict of interest policy, make sure they're signed and make sure that's done on an annual basis. You don't have to uh, necessarily ask for all of the conflict of interest for each board member. But in that board package, for example, depending on which board meeting is, it, there should be, if it's an annual one, a copy of the conflict of interest. So you can see that. So again, this is all could be provided to you in one board package. You want to know how often does the board meet? It, are there minutes taken? I mean, I sit on a board, a nonprofit board, and we meet every month. And we're a very active, we call ourselves kind of a working board. We're very, because all of our, the nonprofit that I'm on the board is all run by volunteers. So we have to really be involved and make sure everything is, is running smoothly. Uh, not every board is that active or, or needs to be that active, but you're going to want to know that. Uh, rotation or term limits. That's just good to know. There's different schools of thoughts on this. Some people believe if you're sitting on a board for, say, you know, five, 10 years, that person might not be as 
invested. They may be a little bit stale. So other people think, oh, that person's been on the board for a long time. They have a lot of um, institutional knowledge of the organization. So, but just good to know, has the board thought about this? And you don't, it's not necessarily one, like I said, is right or wrong, but has the board had discussions about rotation or term limits? It'll, it'll be an indicator for you to know that the board is thinking about these things and is proactive. Now we come to financial information. This is very important. And of course, as you know, I'm coming from an auditing um, and accounting firm. I'm on the advisory services side of the firm, but I, you know, you definitely want to collect as much financial information as you can about the grantee. And this can be in different ways. It can be their internal budget, their internally prepared financial statements, or their compiled, reviewed, or audited financial statements, depending on the size of the organization. Um, that will dictate what they have, but they should have something. So again, if you have this on your application um, that you require financial information, when they submit their application back to you, that should be part of it. And what level of financial information they have will depend on the size of the organization. So you don't necessarily have to require, for example, that they have an audit or anything like that. That, but you'll want to know that they do have some kind of internally prepared financial statements. The other place you'll see that is, as I mentioned before, in the board packet as well. You'll want to look at that. So compile financial statements, again, just coming from the audit background, these, there's no assurance. Um, they're prepared by an outside CPA firm and are definitely a greater value than internally prepared but they are not um, the auditor, the firm, the, the outside CPA firm is not providing you with any assurance of these documents. So like I said, it's a little bit um, higher level as far as review than internally prepared financial statements, but not quite to the level of an audit, uh, which is a much deeper review. So again, reviewed financial reports, the, you'll be getting a copy of these slides. So I don't want to, you know, I don't, find it helpful or interesting for me to sit here and like read the slides to you. Um, but if you have questions, of course, on these, I can, I can address them as well. Um, but you'll want to make sure if it's reviewed financial reports that there is a formal report issued by CPA. And this should have like a conclusion in it that will address if they saw or are aware of any material modifications. That's important to know because that means something doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you don't, you know, use them as a grantee, but it's a red flag that there was some kind of issue and it may be resolved and that's fine, but you'll want to know about it if there was, especially if it had anything to do with um, grantee dollars that they received. Now, audited financial statements, these are when your external auditors come in and do a full audit. So um, this is kind of the the highest level of review, having an outside CPA firm come in. The, the difference here, other than it being a much deeper dive, is that the CPA firm is required to report on any identified significant or material weakness of the organization's system of internal control. So that is very important for you to know, because if there's a, an issue with their internal control, especially in the finance department. Um, we call it, you know, internal controls and segregation of duties is the term that we use. And if there's not, for example, segregation of duties, then you know right there that 
there's not enough people reviewing and approving the financial information, and that can be an issue. What we look at um, when we're looking for financial reviews from our perspective as an audit firm and as an advisor, I want to make sure the same individual that is recording the, the checks coming in is not the same individual that is opening the checks, is not the same individual that's going to the bank, is not the same individual that's signing off in the bank recs. But if it's all one person, as you can imagine, that can lead to a problem because there's areas that if no one's if there's no approval if no one else is looking at it that's when there's a potential for uh, fraud to occur so that's why you know it's important that you review request if they have them again if they have them request a copy of the audited financial statements and you're probably gonna laugh when i say that but make sure you read them uh, you can't imagine how many times i've been um, in an instance with with individuals and they say, oh yeah, yeah, Liz, we requested those. And I say, well, did you actually read them? And oh, we will, or we're gonna get to it. And again, not anything intentional, but if you don't read what's on there, you're not gonna know if there's an issue. Um, so make sure you take a look at that. The other very um, important piece of information, financial information that you can get from them, and I would highly recommend you request for them, is their IRS Form 990. Now, you can get these actually on online as well, but you're probably not going to get the most recent one. So if you go to like a guidestar.org, for example, you can type in any nonprofit and their 990 will come up, but it might be a couple of years. So if you can again, on your application, request the most recent IRS Form 990. Now, they might come back to you and say, oh, we don't have the final version yet. I always say you can ask for a draft. You know, if it's almost done, you can ask for a draft because that probably the draft is probably just being reviewed one more time by whoever is preparing the 990 for them. And if they don't feel comfortable or don't want to give you the draft, just ask for the previous year. Um, but the 990 has a lot of important information. They have the governance. You, you'll see that's one place you can check. You'll see the list. If it's done properly, there should be all the names of the board of directors on there. You'll see the public report they've seen, they've received, excuse me. You'll also see the other um, grants that they've received. So you'll get a sense of what, how many grants, you know, they've been working with in the past and if they have, you know, had experience with that. So you want to take a look um, at the 990. It's a pretty comprehensive uh, document and can be a little bit overwhelmed if you've never seen one before. But once you know where to look, there's um, specific pages that you'll want to go to. So you can see here, it is a really comprehensive document, but you'll want to really look at it and see that it's completed, first of all, that it's completed on time. That will also give you an indication of their, of the individual, of the grantees, excuse me, finance department. That's usually typically who's in charge with getting all the information ready for the 990. And then they usually send it off to a tax preparer, like a, you know, an accounting firm to, to finalize it for them. But like I said, you'll get an idea for the directors, the trustees, the, um, key employees, the highest compensated employees and things like that. So another good uh, piece of information. So that's all information, like I said, you can get ahead of time. And again, I know it's a lot and I know some of you are smaller foundations. So you may say to me, like, I cannot possibly review all that information. I would just suggest start obtaining some of it. Um, obviously, the more you obtain, the better for you. And it's going to provide you with more assurance that you're 
you're selecting the right grantee. Now, on the other side, once you've selected, let's say you've gone through all this and you've selected, I'm just going to say 20 grantees. You've decided, okay, I've narrowed it down. You know, maybe you had 100 applications and you went through the, your due diligence and now you have 20 grantees. Now, what you want after you've you know given them the award and their the contract and um, you know the regulations and the terms of the grant, you're going to want to monitor them. So there's three different levels of this. So what we do when I do this for just you know when I do this for a client, what I do, they tell me, okay, Liz, we have 20 grantees across the country. We want you to come up with a compliance monitoring plan. So I conduct a risk assessment. I look at all the grantees. I look at all the information. I look at has the grantee received foundation dollars before, perhaps they've received federal dollars before, individual donations. And I do an assessment of each grantee and, and score them. That's what a risk assessment is. You score low, moderate, or high. Those are the three levels. So the individuals that you believe, and this is in year one of the grant, for example. So you, you know much more going forward in the grant years, two, three, four, five. You're going to know a lot more because you're going to know the grantee much better. But year one, you're a little bit blind, because especially if you haven't worked with this grantee um, in the past. So your low-level risk grantees, I recommend you do a desk review. Now, a desk review is a very limited review of the expenditures just for your grant, not across the whole organization. These can be done even pre-COVID. We did these. That's why they're called desk reviews. Even before COVID, these were things I would do at my office. I'd have my request list. I'd send it to the grantee. I'd ask for things like the 990, like the board of director package, the financial statements, an organizational chart. And then I would take a sample. I would take typically a three-month sample of expenditures just for your grant. So I would have the CFO or director of finance, whoever it was, so or someone on their staff, send me three months from the general ledger of expenditures just for your grant. And then from there, what I would do is I would I would select a sample. So I'd go through and, you know, obviously being an audit firm, we have a lot of tools to help us do this because um, that's what we do. So we have um, a lot of ways that we can come up with a sample. And, and then I would request my sample back to them. And then I would ask for backup documentation. So there might be a charge, for example, on their uh, $500 for a conference. So I would want, when I would be asking for backup documentation for that, I would want to see the receipts, of course. And then I would also want to see the um, documentation of the conference. Because oftentimes, if you dig a little deeper, you'll see, wait a minute, there was no conference. So that can happen. So just that's what I mean when I say backup documentation. Now, for your moderate level grantees, I call it your basic review. Now that is a desk review, which again can be on Zoom um, or on site if you want, but it depends where they are and where you are. So I would recommend that still be on Zoom um, or via email. It doesn't even have to be you know, on Zoom. And then in site or Zoom, depending on everyone's comfort level, a focus site review. Now that's where you physically go there, like in my example earlier in the presentation when I went to Oakland for the financial review. Before I went there for the financial review, I was there for a site review as well. So the financial review came kind of was a separate 
um, thing that came out of that. But being there in person, uh, you know, with, with COVID, obviously Zoom is fine, of course. But when you're actually with the, the finance team and you're in the office and you're asking for the expenditures, you just see how they work. You're, you're, you know, you're there for two days, maybe three, depending on how large the organization is. But you get a sense for how they work together. You get a sense of the interactions with the CFO. You just learn a lot, just being on site with them and reviewing the information. Um, now, out of this will come a corrective action plan, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But again, so for the moderate level, you're going to want to do, at the very least, one desk review and one site review or Zoom review, again, depending on COVID. Now, for your high-risk grantees, the ones that you just know, or you know they're high-risk, but you still really believe in their programs and you want to give them this, these dollars to help them fund their programs, but you're going to really wanna make sure you're keeping a closer eye. So for the higher risk, we do the desk review and typically at least two desk reviews and two site reviews. And that gives you more coverage. That's why we do it that way. So depending on how many expenditures there are, again, you'll request to do a sampling and you'll wanna look at sufficient coverage for the period of the grant. Um, and make sure that you're getting as much coverage as you can. You're never going to look at 100% unless that's really you have enough time and resources to do that. Typically, most foundations that I am aware of anyway will never do 100% sampling. But if you do a few different times throughout the year, a desk review, then a site review, then a desk review, then a site review, that's going to give you a lot of coverage. And then you'll, you'll have a lot of confidence that the grantee is spending the dollars appropriately. Now, after you do any of these, the desk review, the basic review, and the enhanced review, there's going to be some things that come out of this, and I call it corrective action. There's going to be some items that you realize that they either didn't have or that they need to have. So you'll want to keep a running corrective action plan, and it will be the responsibility of the grantee to make sure that they're following up with you and sending you whatever was agreed upon um, for the corrective action. So you want to kind of come up with a corrective action plan and really make sure that that their grantee is following that 